Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Um, So it's John chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. I just want to pray for us all now as we listen to Steve speak. Father God, thank you for gathering us all here today. And I ask that you just are with us now. Give us eyes to to see and ears to listen and hearts to receive what Steve has to say now. And let us just grow closer to you right now. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Great to be with you. Will I ever be good enough? Guilt and shame, a big question in Irish society. When I was at Bible College in Sheffield, I used to have a regular lunch date with my Uncle Patrick, who lived there. I was in Leeds. And he used to be a Church of England minister, but had fallen away from the faith, rejected Christ. And uh, so when I used to meet with him to discuss what I was learning at Bible College, we'd have these very fun, some not really heated, but just engaging conversations about what he thought what I believe was nonsense, and I thought what I believe was very important. And we used to have these great frank and friendly conversations over his gorgeous homemade vegetable soup. It was great fun. One of the discussions I remember having really took me by surprise because he was telling me about some of his childhood uh, habits and things he did growing up. And one of the habits he had when he was growing up was that when he was, uh, the last thing he did before he went to bed every night was he would get a, he would get granny, uh, well, his mum, my granny, up to say goodnight to him, tuck him into bed. And the last thing he would say to her is, Mom, how have I done today? And have I been a good boy? How was I at school? And uh, Granny would then tell him, or his mum would then tell him, you know, whatever, or probably very nice things, being mother. And, uh, and then he would score himself out of 10 every day and write it in his little book. It was a funny little habit, But it gives a great insight, I think, into what it is to be human. My uncle Patrick's habit, I think, is all our habits. Every day, how am I doing? Am I being successful enough? Have I been good enough? We are grading ourselves. We are ranking our performance. I think there is lurking somewhere deep within every single one of us is, will I ever be good enough? What was also interesting on that lunchtime conversation was to learn that even though he was well into his 70s, he still had all those books. Those scores still mattered to him. 
Or just recently, Leanne, my wife, and I were tidying away all our children's books from last academic year, preparing for the new academic year, all the books and the reports, and working out what we should keep, which is very little in my opinion, and what we should uh, throw, which is very little in her opinion. And uh, Leanne is the keeper, I'm the thrower. Leanne has sentiment, I have a tidy house. That's the way I like it, and welcome to my marriage. Anyway, as we were sorting out all our things to throw and things to keep and debating all that, obviously we kept Annabelle's school report from last, my daughter's school report from last year. Uh, and what I found is she kept taking this report off the pile and she'd put it in her room. And I'd go, oh, that's interesting. And I'd put it back on the pile to store away in the cupboard. And I'd find it upstairs in the kitchen. And I'd go, what's it doing there? And then I'd find it in the toilet and, and all the rest. And, uh, and I'd kept putting this school report back on the pile. And eventually I said to Annabelle, Annabelle, why do you keep taking your report. And she said, oh, Dad, whenever I need a morale boost, I like to look at it. Annabelle had done very well last year, and I'm very glad that she's proud of that. But it's interesting. It's similar to my Uncle Patrick. Whenever I need a morale boost, I look to my school report. And I think Annabelle is just a little bit more honest than the rest of us and hasn't learned to conceal that that might be slightly an embarrassing thing to say when she grows up. But we all do it. Whenever I need a morale boost, I look to, let me call this the validation problem. One of our favorite songs as a family comes from a Christian artist called Lauren Daigle. I think she's American. And one of her songs starts like this. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and low Remind me once again just who I am, because I need to know. We have a validation problem in the human psyche. What makes me someone of worth? What gives me value as a human? Or just one more example to show that this isn't just about school children. The fourth most viewed TED Talk of all time is by a lady called Brené Brown, The Power of Vulnerability. I happened to see her give this talk live at a business conference in Boston a number of years ago to 15,000 of us. She calls herself a shame expert. As far as I know, she is not a believer in God, but I don't know her story. She says this, quote, shame is really understood as the fear of disconnection. Is there something about me, if other people know it or see it, that I wouldn't be worthy of connection? The things I, uh, the things I can tell you are about it are this. It's universal. We all have it. The only people who don't experience shame have no capacity for human empathy or connection. No one wants to talk about it. The less you talk about it, the more you have it. What underpins this shame, she asks. What is it behind this? I'm not good enough. I'm not blank enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not promoted enough. Quote continues. The thing that underpins this was excruciating vulnerability. In order for connection to happen, we must allow ourselves to be seen, really seen. It's a powerful talk. 59 million views and counting. I encourage you to go and watch it. What was interesting to me as I heard this talk was I was at a conference with 15,000 business people. Many of them were very impressive, very rich, very good looking, very successful. And certainly everyone was trying to give off the impression that they were impressive. And yet she had us 100% captivated. You could hear a pin drop in the auditorium. And she got the best reviews of all the speakers that year. 
She never talked about business or marketing or sales or profit or technology or strategies, all the stuff we were actually there to learn about. She talked about what? Shame. Am I good enough? We have this profound, inescapable sense that if we were examined, we would be rejected. We have a deep sense we've got to hide our true self or at least control what people know about us. We are full of self-doubts. Where do the self-doubts come from? We may try and psychologize it and say, I have a complex. My, my parents didn't love me enough. I'm a victim. I have self-esteem issues. And, and that may be sadly true, but it's not true for many. There's no escaping the fact that we all have this sense that we're not good enough. This is a huge question, particularly for young people in modern Ireland. And there's two responses throughout history that have ever been given to the issue of shame. And I'm going to look at both. There's the outside-in approach, and there's the inside-out approach. The outside-in approach says, where we do all we can to cover our nakedness. We do everything to make ourselves look and feel and appear better than we are. All the different ways we try to build our self-esteem through stuff on the outside. The Bible calls this the fig leaf approach. It's been the approach to shame since time immemorial, and it's never worked. That's why you have shame experts who are paid serious money to come and speak to 15,000 business people, not about business, but about whether they are good enough. It's outside in. Then there's the inside-out approach, that we can discover a new life, a new love, a new identity, not through anything we can achieve, or create, or strive for, but something that is given us, that fills us on the inside, that tells us with all, beyond all doubt, beyond all doubt we are filled on the inside with something that gives us value. The Bible calls this the unconditional love approach. And for those that discover it, their lives are changed. So much so that the only way you can describe your life after encountering this is you're born again. So, the outside-in approach. Here are the four that I want us to talk about. The first one is religion. Some people assume that the way we deal with our sense of inadequacy is to clean up our act, obey God, get busy with religion, live a moral life, give of our time and our money, and avoid all the bad things like swearing and stealing and drinking and adultery and all that stuff, and go to church more. We don't know for sure, but by the very abrupt way, that Jesus speaks to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes in, yeah, you're a wonderful teacher, you're doing all these wonderful signs. And Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't really ask the question. We don't know for sure, but by the way Jesus answers, well, it quite abruptly engages with him. We assume Nicodemus, who's a member of the ruling Jewish council, he was a great teacher in Israel. He was a Pharisee. You can imagine he was saying, well, I don't cheat, I don't swear. I don't steal. I don't do bad things. God accepts me because I'm good enough. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You must be born again, Nicodemus. That's, as that's outside in, it doesn't work. It needs to be inside out. But there's something tempting for all of us to do, isn't it? Is create a list. Here's all the good and moral and religious things I do that make me good enough. Staying away from certain movies or profane activities or bad people or reading your Bible regularly and praying or giving to charity and supporting environmental projects. And, but we know it doesn't work. It's a fig leaf. Because people who create lists 
or even subconsciously and go, this is how good I am, they always have an anxiety. They never actually have an assurance that they're good enough. And they always lack a joy and a power and a peace. And so the list gets bigger, the anxiety increases, and the desperate need for self-justification continues, but the joy and the courage and the peace never come. It's outside in. It doesn't work. We need inside out. And by the way, non-religious people and the media in this country will tell you that it doesn't work because over the years, more religion in this country made more people judgmental, arrogant, deceptive, divisive, and bigoted. Under all the goodness of religion was harboring evil. It's outside in. It doesn't work. We need inside out. Another approach, particularly at the moment seen in the United States of America, is politics. It's an outside-in approach that if we have the right political views, the right leaders, the right structures, we'll deal with all the mess. If we have the right education and the right social structures, it could be capitalism, socialism, something else. It could be left, it could be right, it could be blue, it could be red. It's all too obvious to see that political approaches to change in the world and the mess aren't working. In fact, many would argue they're making it worse. We've never had a generation more disillusioned with political leaders to clean up the mess. We're creating more of it, it, it seems. Now, I'm not saying that there's no place for politics and we shouldn't pray for our leaders and we shouldn't use our vote and we shouldn't get involved and we shouldn't lobby. No, we should do all those things. Government and structures and leaders are God-given and they're good. But if you look to politics to give you validation and be the great answer to the problem in the world and in your heart, if you look to politics to give you some kind of final and full identity, it won't work. It's outside in. You've had totalitarian and oppressive regimes on the far right and the, and the far left. It's a fig leaf. Or maybe more pertinent to modern Dublin is popular culture and the worship of celebrities. Why do we worship celebrities? You're not cool enough. Or, sorry, if you're cool enough, or if you know the cool people and emulate them, if you could be that successful, that popular, that rich, that good-looking, we wouldn't feel inconsequential. If I could be famous, if I could be successful, if I could just be known by, as someone important, then I wouldn't feel inadequate. It's a non-religious way to be religious. We're worshipping something else. It's a fig leaf. It doesn't work. Christina Kelly... It's a former editor of the young women's magazines like Sassy and Elle. And no, I'm not a subscriber, before you ask. She once wrote, quote, Why do we crave celebrities? Here is my theory. To be human is to feel, in, is to feel inconsequential. So we worship celebrities and we seek to look like them. She carries on. But it's so dumb with this stream of perfectly airbrushed, implanted liposuction stars, you have to have an absolute powerhouse of a self-esteem not to feel totally inferior before them. So we worship them because we feel inconsequential, but, in, but doing it makes us feel even worse. You, we make them stars, and then their fame makes us feel more insignificant. I'm part of the whole process as an editor. And she finishes her quote by saying, no wonder... I feel so soiled at the end of every day. The greatness and beauty of others shows my ugliness and my smallness. It's outside in. It doesn't work. 
Then there's another one, success and achievement, which would be my great temptation to find validation. If I'll be good enough when I'm successful enough. But we know it doesn't work because the success never really gives you the validation you're looking for. Or if it does, it is both devastatingly short-term and you then feel worse after you've had that success and you have to then fight to get back on top. It only leaves you feeling more inadequate afterwards. As many great sports people testify with the growing mental health issues that come from basing your identity on your performance. It will crush you if that's what you do. It's outside in. There's a famous story of the 1924 Paris Olympics where Howard Abraham's on the left and Eric Little on the right are competing uh, for the 200 and 200 meter uh, finals. And uh, Howard Abraham is a very driven man. But uh, Eric Little is a Presbyterian. He's a strict Sabbatarian. He doesn't race on the Sunday. And he says, you know, he knows he has a gift. He says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Whereas Howard Abrahams, he looks down the 100-meter track. At least this is how the film Chariots of Fire uh, portrays it. He looks down the 100-meter track on, on finals day. And he says, I have 10 seconds with which to justify my existence. And Little isn't even there. He is so free he doesn't have to compete. Now, I'm not a strict Sabbatarian, but I wish I had little freedom. He doesn't need to justify himself. He's justified outside. The fifth approach to modern culture I'm going to call self-help or self-talk. And this one is very deceptive because it tries to be inside out, but is really outside in. In short, you don't look to anyone else or anything else to validate yourself. Use no standards from the outside. You bestow a verdict of significance upon yourself. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It doesn't matter what you have or you haven't done. I'm just going to tell myself that I'm worth something and I'm enough. So instead of saying to yourself, do something to prove yourself, you just say, tell yourself that you're good enough. So I look inside at my desires and I tell myself that I'm valuable because I think I'm valuable. And this is what a lot of modern counselling will do. You go to counsellors with a problem, they'll say, look inside, what do you feel? Well, that's your worth. Who do you think you are? Go deep within and, and, and discover, and that'll make you valuable. But it doesn't work. It doesn't. We have more mental health issues in our world today than we've ever had. Looking inside yourself at your desires will not give you the value and the validation you are looking for. And this approach actually leads us to the real problem. The real problem is not that we are not outwardly impressive. It's that we're inwardly empty. In each of us, there's a deep, cavernous hole of inadequacy. And in that sense, we do need something outside of us to give us validation, but it cannot be religion. It cannot be politics. It cannot be popular culture. It cannot be success. And it certainly cannot be your own voice. None of these things. We need another voice. We need validation that is independent of our performance and our self-assessment. We need someone from outside to come inside. We must be born again. The inside-out approach. You must be born again, Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a man of great learning and intellect. And so he says to Jesus, and you can read it there on your page there, on page 12, he says, well, how can someone be born when, 
when they're old and surely you cannot enter the second time into the mother's womb to be born. It's the obvious point. You must be born again. How am I going to be born again? And Jesus goes on to talk about the water and spirit compared to the flesh. The flesh is purely human, but the water and the spirit represent the things above, the things of the Holy Spirit, being born of God, being born of a supernatural life. We need something outside of us to come inside of us and fill us up. I'm going to call that the unconditional love approach. We need a whole new start. We need a new heart. We need a new power. Something inside. You see, to really understand where our validation comes from, we need to go right back to the beginning. Why do we all have this problem of shame in the first place? Why do we need shame experts in the 21st century? Well, in the beginning, Genesis 2, Adam and Eve were both naked and felt no shame. They were naked. They were known, they were disclosed, they didn't cover up, they didn't control information. They were seen and revealed. And they felt no shame in being completely seen for who they were, physically, emotionally, spiritually. They were known and they were loved. There was no emptiness, there was no inadequacy. They were filled up on the inside because of their relationship with God, their creator. The inner and outer side of their life matched. There was no pride, no competition, no comparison, no striving, no sense of self-inadequacy. In Genesis 3, we learn that sin entered the world. And we then try and do everything possible to cover our nakedness. Have you seen how desperate Adam and Eve are to cover their nakedness? It's your story. It's my story. It's Uncle Patrick's story. Three things. First of all, they go and hide from God. They don't want the eyes that are too pure to look on iniquity, to look on their iniquity. So they hide from God. And then they make excuses. They don't want to even be seen to themselves. I want to the blame culture, basically. But it wasn't me, it was you. It wasn't her, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a snake. They can't even face themselves. They don't want to be seen by God. They don't want to even see themselves. And what did they do for one another so they weren't seen by each other? They sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. Now there's a disparity between the outer life and the inner life. I want to keep people at arm's length. I don't want people to know the real me. I don't want to be naked and known and disclosed. They'll do everything they can to avoid their nakedness. They don't want vulnerability. They don't want anyone to see them, certainly not God and his pure eyes, to see them in their filth. And that is how we all feel. We live the Adam and Eve story every day. Brené Brown understands how that looks like, but she doesn't understand why we got there. Nicodemus comes with his perfect track record as a, a Jewish ruling council member, and Jesus says, you don't get it. You've got to be born again. The root problem is inside, not outside. So what happens at the end of Genesis 3? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And he what? He clothed them. God sees Adam and Eve in their nakedness and shame. God sees their impurity and their inadequacy. God sees their sin and their guilt. And what does he do with those pure eyes? He makes garments of skin to clothe them. Adam and Eve had sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. God has a garment of skin. What's the difference? To make garments of skin, there has to be shedding of blood. Blood will have to be spilt for the sin and the shame and the guilt to be covered. There has to be atonement. 
It can't just be brushed away. We can't look inside and go, I'm not that, we are that bad. There would have to be blood spilt for coverings of the shame. And so the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world, he says this to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. It's when you understand the love of God in sending his son, and that becomes what validates you, you've been born again. How much more valuable could you be? You're worth the precious blood of Jesus. What price could be put on any one of our heads? There would be a greater price than the blood of God's Son to cover our nakedness. And the Apostle Paul, who builds on this theme, tells us that the Holy Spirit comes to give us new life and new power, and he washes our sin away, and he gives us a clean slate and a new record. And what does he say in Romans 5? The Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our hearts the love of God. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds us of this love that God has for us. And then what does he say a few chapters later? One of those great verses in the Bible. The Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are what? Beloved children of our heavenly Father. I have validation from the King of Kings. I'm Abba's child. I'm eternally loved. I have a dignity and a worth and a value outside of myself that's come inside of me by the Holy Spirit that's shed abroad in my heart that is telling me, cry out to your Father who loves you unconditionally, eternally, forever. This now becomes who I am. You know, my uncle Patrick's book is a book that exists for every one of us. Everything we ever said or thought or have done that is morally wrong There's a book that keeps a record of our score. There's a book that tells us what we're really like. There's a book that shows our inadequacy and what we deserve, and we do deserve to be condemned as guilty. There is a book that should fill us with shame. There's a book that none of us want to look at because we're like Adam and Eve, and we're going to put fig leaves to cover. Let me call this Adam's book. Adam's insecurity. Being born again means that you understand what it is to live by a different book. There was one person who scored 10 out of 10 every day. There was one person that at the end of every day, his father said, you're my beloved son, whom I love. There's one son in all the world that always did the will of the father. There's one person that had a had lived up to every expectation of perfection humanity has ever had and more. And the message of the gospel is that Jesus' book becomes your book through faith. The moment you or I believe in Jesus, God imputes, God puts Jesus' book onto your life. And your book goes on Jesus as he dies on a cross. The great exchange, imputed righteousness given to you. And not is it just a legal transaction that cleans you and cleanses you. You're what? Adopted into the family. This is intimate and close. God wants to wrap his arms around you. And then he gives you what? Not just his son, but his spirit. So daily you can know that inner witness of the spirit that says, I'm a child of God. 
and the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart. And you move out of Adam's insecurity to Christ's security. You know the prayer that I pray regularly for Annabelle, my daughter? I've had it on her prayer card that I have in my Bible. Prayed it for years. You guys will know. It's tough growing up, isn't it, in the modern world with all the comparisons online and social media and pressure to succeed. My prayer that I've prayed for Annabelle is that she would know an inner fullness, an inner beauty that would drive out any need that she feels she has to prove herself by her looks, by her achievement, or by her savvy. In other words, my greatest prayer for Annabelle is that she might be born again. That she would move out of Adam's insecurity into Christ's security. She would live by a different book that's been given her through faith. And not take the outside-in approach to dealing with that shame that she's inevitably going to feel, but take the inside-out approach through Christ. Four applications before we move to song and Q&A. First application. If you're living with a specific failure, if there's something you have done, a sexual sin or some other sin, and you just feel guilt and you just can't shake it, you spend your whole life just trying to avoid it, but it's there, and you're trying with all the fig leaves to cover your shame, but it doesn't. Give it up today. Give up the self-atonement. Stop the outside-in outside, outside approach. Accept Christ's atonement for you, for your mistake. Stop the striving. Receive his forgiveness. Be set free from that. If you've done something, Come out of Adam and live gloriously in Christ. If you live with a general sense of inadequacy, constantly controlling information, what people have about you, constantly comparing and feel frustrated and jealous, and, and no one understands that I'm always a victim and all that kind of, you're desperate to cover up, you're desperate to make yourself acceptable, give it up. Stop striving. Admit your guilt, admit your sin. Admit that you're not that amazing. And as you're humble and you commit yourself to Jesus, his unconditional love will come to you by the Holy Spirit and you will be born again and it will change you. Or if you are born again, you'll live in that new reality. Come out of Adam. Live in Christ. If you're here today and you're very religious, you're very driven, you're desperate to stay up to date, you know, what's the cool thing and what is it to be cool and how do I fit in and... Stop the outside-out approach. That's a fig leaf. Give up man-made effort to validate yourself. Admit your spiritual bankruptcy. Ask him to cleanse you. Give up your deadly doing in Adam and stand complete in Christ's work for you. Fourthly, if you're here today and you feel inadequate, not because of what you've done, but because something was done to you, then hold on to John chapter 3 with your life. You're born again. You can have a fresh start. The things that were done to you do not have to define you and mark your future forever. There's a very moving story on What's the Story campaign website by a Brazilian-born but Irish-raised man, Matthias, who did very well in The Voice Island a few years ago. He was sexually abused as a boy. 
and he felt very dirty and very inadequate. But he tells how through Christ, through the church, and through singing, he discovered a worth and a value and a new life. Come out, if that's you, of all of the failure of Adam's race done against you and receive a new status in Christ of holy, blameless, loved, cherished. You're a new creation with a wonderful and certain future in Jesus. And the Spirit can bring a cleansing and a healing to your heart that can melt you and change you forever. Allow him in. So let me take a moment to pause. Would you stand? I invite Jess back. We're going to sing to respond and then we'll move into the Q&A. And if you have questions, you can take a screenshot of this and uh, go to slido.com. We'll just take a a picture of that and then uh, you can ask your questions. But let's take a moment to pause and consider these things we've been reflecting. We have plenty of time to respond, which which is lovely. Those words again from Romans on the work of the Holy Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you are sons of God. If you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you now, in your way that we cannot control you, the wind blows where it blows, Jesus says to Nicodemus. But you come and blow now in hearts as we sing and respond and reflect and chew on these things. We pray, Lord, that we would know that deep love that you have for each of us and how we are validated in you, and that we give up our deadly doing, and we give up all our striving, and we give up all the outside-in approaches, and we'd be known, and we'd be vulnerable, and we'd be naked, but we wouldn't know shame, because we are filled up from the inside with unconditional love. So take away fear, and fill us with that love that you have for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.